Welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Ayan Shirwa. A young Aboriginal woman stands in front of a large crowd at an Invasion Day rally. Her name is Tarnin Onis, and on today's episode, we see what happens to black women who challenge dominant narratives. In the second half of our show, we speak to Arij Noor, a radio producer and presenter about free speech on social networking sites. Tarnin begins with the Andrew Bort vilification case, a case that had Australians asking, do we have the right to say whatever we want? Yeah, so Andrew Bolt said that um, fair-skinned Aboriginal people uh, were just claiming that they were Aboriginal because for university and other things. So in that case, he discriminated against Aboriginal people because he didn't think they were legitimate enough, you know, and I think that is very problematic when we think about, you know, like if we think about the iceberg and, you know, what's above the surface and you've got Aboriginality is like, you know, it can it can be dark skin, it could be... Um, it could be talking language, it can be these, like that's all the things that you can see and the things that you can actually see and like that that's an Aboriginal person, person visually. Mm. But then underneath, um, in, under the water and the, and the iceberg where that big chunk is, it's like we've still, these people who have fair skin and who are Aboriginal, they've still got transgenerational trauma, they've still had their land stolen, they've still... Um, part of the stolen generation. Their families are still traumatised. They still are able to speak language. You know, all these things that are also underneath there and all these things that first kids Aboriginal people face and then for someone to say, but after all the trauma that people have um, experienced, and especially being an Aboriginal person and having fair skin, like that is, um, that is also like a reminder of, you know, the violence... Um, sexual violence which has been put upon Aboriginal people and you know our bodies have been used as a vessel for colonisation in particular Aboriginal women Mm. and so I think that when people like that say these things it's direct and pointing out that Aboriginal people have bare skin therefore they shouldn't say that they're Aboriginal that's like all of the things underneath which he's saying aren't legitimate, their identities aren't legitimate, but they get treated every bit Aboriginal, like, through structures and institutions. Mm. But, like, on face value, they might get treated better in a shop, they might not get followed or whatever, but they still have... There's still all those underlying issues that exist for Aboriginal people with fair skin. So when he says things like that, it's not free speech. When Aboriginal women were sexually assaulted and put on missions and there was ethnic cleansing, which was a process, which was a colonial project. So when people say things like that, it is, you know, Mm. it is violent and it's racist. A platform that a lot of us hold politicians and other elites accountable is social media. Um, But social media is also a very toxic space. Can you perhaps describe the gamut of experiences that you've faced yeah especially like post invasion day social media is like a public lynching now you know 
it's where, you know, it's really great because we get to have access to politicians and other public figures. Um, but to, you know, for, like, the way that social media was used to, you know, pretty much publicly lynch me. Um, and I had so many different people. I had even, like, Senator, what do you call it? Anning. Mm. Um, trolling me on Twitter, uh, saying horrible things about me. You know, it's pretty bad that even people in Parliament are, you know, attacking um, Aboriginal people through the channel of social media. It's just, it is such a toxic space for that. And also, you know, when Jack from Twitter, he came over, was saying, you know, there needs to be something happen, like this should not keep happening. And it's happened so many times where I've been like, and it's happened a few times since Invasion Day, where just thousands of people have just came out after me. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's it's so toxic. And I'm like, I, every time I like go to call someone out on social media, I'm always like, okay, like I really want to call that person out. But like, how about like a message in inbox first, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, happened recently I was watching um, her sound her story a movie about women in the music industry and one of the women said a really fat phobic thing and it was really bad and I was like oh could do a public call out but I messaged her and she's like oh my gosh I don't remember I'm really sorry that I made you feel that way and I'm sorry this is out there now you know hmm. um, so I think there's ways to, to deal with things but I think the hardest thing is that with politicians, we actually they have the power, they have power. I guess lots of campaigning on social media happens, you know, campaigning against politicians, tagging them and things, calling them out, it's doing X, Y, and Z. And I think that's like the I think there's a difference between trolling people and being abusive. And then there's a difference between campaigning to create change, you know? Yeah. And I think that there's like a fine line. I think that it's really important that we do that. But I think with the politicians at the moment that we have, it's, it's pretty, like, it's pretty horrific and what's happening right now in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we're, it's like we we're regressing back and I and it, it, it makes sense in that the more we are vocal and the more we're out there and the more we're able to mobilize through mm-hmm. the use of social media I mean the amount of communities that have bound each other and are getting together and you know saying enough is enough that's a threat to like white power yeah completely it is, like our liberation is a threat to them you know, and that they and that they see our liberation as a direct threat, mm. and in like, but it actually is. It's a, it's a threat to their the power that they hold. And when people of colour and other marginalised groups and communities come together um, against white supremacy and queerphobia and transphobia, you know, other different. Hmm. You know, 
and they're always like banging on about like PC culture. And it's not PC culture. It's just now we're no longer putting up with that, and we also have the um, resources, and you know we're having the law. Not always, but the law is slowly coming to our side where now we can hold people accountable. People can lose their job for making racist comments online. And I think people forget that online and offline, they're like linked. What you say online can affect your offline um, world. And we've noticed that. I don't know if you've seen those videos of those white women calling on, you know, black people doing normal things, calling the police on them. and Yeah. And we wouldn't have had that had we not, like, had social media to be able to share that broad- broadly. Yeah, 100%. And I think it definitely makes you feel like you're part of a community with other... I think that's one really good, like, really great thing about social media is that you feel part of something, which is really important. It's like, you know, when back in the day, they would have written letters to each other, you know? Mm. People, like, people would have visited by plane or, you know, like, my Uncle Bruce, he went over to the US and to Bolivia um, to find out about what was happening over there, about wow. issues that were happening or think what things were facing um, black people and Indigenous people over there. So I think it's really, um, it's really like, it's just amazing to have this community. And, like, also, like, the, the knowledge, like, the skill sharing that happens across on social media, mm. especially on Instagram where you have, like, people who are artists and create, like, really radical things and really, like, political like, art pieces, whether it's photography or graphics or drawing or anything like that. It's, I think that is... Like really great, and that's how I think we're starting to also consume um, different, like, like learn about politics, mm. but through art, especially Instagram, because it's you know pictures and it's very visual, and I think that's pretty cool. Mm. I was reading an article where you were talking about your, I guess, realization or your when you sort of be- became politicized, and one of the spaces was. Um, I think it was the Black Fellas Revolution page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That was a huge social media page. And it was so radical back in the day. Um, I'm not sure who's in control of it now. Mm. But it was really radical. And I think that and all these little, like, memes and, you know, all these, like, it was really artistic in the way, like, all the content they got together. And I thought it was so cool. And, like, I was actually able to learn so much through social media and through following them and about different issues that were coming up. And it was just really deadly. Like, I loved it um, so much. And, you know, like, I miss it now, but it's, it was just really deadly, especially as a young black follower, um, not, you know, not going to university, not knowing what books, what books to buy or not knowing what is actually out there. And, like, you want to, you want to be be political but you don't even know where to start because you don't even know what what's been done what knowledge is out there who's done what 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 are people talking about you know mm. so yeah it's such a like a great like such a great space to um 
yeah, be in to learn, just to learn. And I think that's why as well. I think that's why young people have been able to also progress and become like so, like so deadly because of social media and they have access to so many different people. Yeah, but there has I've I've noticed there has been a slow shift because I've been on Twitter since 2013 and I wasn't as active as I as I am now. But I've also mm-hmm. noticed now there's always pages of um, black thinkers and activists. All their pages are you know like one minute they're there, the next minute they're no longer there, and you're sort of like, what happened? And and they're being reported for stuff that is so minuscule but yet all these racists and all these people with fake accounts reporting them and and it's so stressful because social media definitely has its positives and its negatives but I guess it all goes back to the people who control these spaces and the type of um, people they sort of censor and knows they don't have you noticed have you noticed that I've been deleted off Facebook, uh, off Twitter um, for posting that Malcolm X was bisexual. Oh. Yeah. Wow. It was pretty, like, it was a bit ridiculous. But, like, I think, you know, like, it's, and also, like, has to do, you know, like, for instance, here in Australia, because it was, like, Black Lives, I think it was Black, it was Black History Month. And I was like, hey, like, it's Black History Month, Malcolm X. Queer, um, he was like, bye, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, like the erasure of him, like him being queer, da, da, da. And he, it was Twitter people like here in Australia that moderate. So it's not people in the US mm. to have moderators here in Australia. So they moderate, the people here in Australia moderate on Twitter what they want. Right. They what they want to, yeah. Mm. So yeah, it is, um, yeah. Interesting. And that was Tiny and Onis ending on the erasure of bisexuality by Facebook moderators. To make sense of our rights and responsibilities on Facebook, I sat down with producer and presenter, Arage Norm. Welcome to Accent of Woman, Arage. Thank you for having me. Can we say and do whatever we want on social media? Yes, of course. We can say and do whatever we want anywhere and anytime um what is worth thinking about is the consequences of that um who we're sharing information to who has access to this information forever um one thing that I realized a couple of years ago was that I when I was in high school I deleted all of my Facebook messages and then about three or four years ago I there was a Facebook update on my phone and I updated it and suddenly all those messages were back. Mm. And it really, I guess at the time, social media wasn't as huge as it is now and when I was at school I clearly had no idea what was going on but it really made me pause and reflect on the fact that when things are deleted, they're not actually deleted. When things are, when we are willingly putting ourselves and putting our personal information and putting all of these details Mm. in these services that are not bound by any laws, not bound by any ethical standards like Mm. Facebook, Um, what we're doing is almost playing into the hands of big systems that might be used to eventually 
in inverted commas, oppress us or whatever, right? So just on a in a broad in a broad sense, of course you can post whatever you want. Of course, censorship is absolutely not okay. Self censorship is absolutely not okay. But thinking about the platforms that we're using to post what we're posting is something that I think is very, very important. Mm. And when it comes to content, are there certain communities or I guess I'm, I'm thinking more about the elites. Are there certain speeches that are considered okay and others that aren't? Is the consequences equal for everybody? No, absolutely not. So I guess it, it, there's a couple of things in there. One is um, there are some people who have a lot to say and there might be people who experience marginalisation, um, who might have, uh, you know, racialized people who are of, I guess, you know, marginalised communities, right? And they might have jobs and they might have livelihoods that depend on them um, kind of putting their head down and being silent and continuing on the race. But on the other side of their identity, they have they have a lot to say. So the thing to think about when it comes to that is, I guess, who you are and how you could be impacted by the effects of someone, you know, posting a screenshot of, what you have on your private Instagram or your private Twitter about the system or whatever or messages that you send to people and the way that that could impact your livelihood is something worth thinking about. If you're someone who has the uh, class privilege and the privilege just more broadly to have a right despite your position to share how you feel about whatever you want, then I guess that's a different story and you're in a position mm. to do that. I think that um, on an ideological and a theoretical level, for me personally, and I'd only speak for myself, um, I think that we as you know, people of colour, as black people, as people who work within activist circles, who engage in all of these kind of important conversations, have a right to do and say whatever we want, right? Mm. And to me, ideologically, that is absolutely our right. What I've seen, though, is that it has impacted us and our communities more broadly and speaking publicly about things has impacted our livelihoods and impacted our families and um, and, it's, and it's something to be worried about and something to be scared of. Mm. And when you think about the people that decide the content that is appropriate or the content that meets community guidelines, um, does it matter who is in, like, who decides what speech is hate speech or is there a like generic way of looking at hate speech? So I guess this is something to think about. Like when it comes to broad, big kind of tech companies, the people who work at those tech companies, and this is something that I talk to my students about all the time, is like they're not people who have sociology and arts degrees, people who have understanding of rights and have understandings of broader political situations and all of those things. They're often engineers. They're often people who work in tech, who work in Silicon Valley. If we're going to use Facebook as an example, the folks who um, maybe at the very beginning of the Facebook's journey now, I guess, ooh, maybe at the very beginning of Facebook's journey now, I guess the trajectory has shifted because it's so big. But the very beginning of Facebook's journey, the people who moderated that were just Facebook staff. And mm. Facebook is not staffed by political scientists and ethics, people with ethics majors or whatever. Mm. They're staffed by engineers. And I think that uh, this big social media platform 
has a big responsibility to ensure that ethical guidelines um, are nuanced and are thoughtful, but they're not accountable to anyone. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about who gets to decide what is ethical and what is moral or what is hate speech and what is not, it's like who who gets to decide is one question, but who has the right to decide is another. And another thing that I think about as well is that at this point in time and a Facebook, like a social media platform like Facebook is has so much power and there are a lot of people around the world who have access to Facebook more than any one nation state, mm. right? And so what is appropriate in a country like the United States may not be appropriate in, in other countries. The consequences of what people say might be different in different countries. So it's it's really, really complicated. The thing that I think we all need to consider all the time is that systems exist and systems are made by people, by individuals, mm. and they're not just a matter of course. They don't just exist and then we have to abide by them. It is important to constantly be critical, constantly unpack, constantly pause and reflect on our usage of social media, our usage of um, all of these platforms. Whether or not we stop using them for this reason is is one thing, but it is important to pause and reflect. One way that content is moderated is that the user has to report that content. What issues exist in that kind of method? Users, there's there's a lot there. Um, I think that with, I guess there's a couple of things. One is someone can report content, and I've reported content, I think we all have, that we think is offensive, that we think is, um, you know, really disrespectful, that we think is defamatory, all of these things. And nine times out of ten, or maybe 99 times out of 100, it gets rejected, right? And so I think these, and this is something that is really interesting to me because I don't necessarily report things for the sake of reporting it. I often kind of pause and reflect and look at what the guidelines would be and then I would report it, even on Twitter and even on Instagram. Um, and most times it gets rejected. It says that the, the content abides by the community guidelines. There's also something that I learnt only a few weeks ago. I went to see this documentary with a bunch of people um, called The Cleaners and it was incredibly um, depressing. It was really difficult to watch mm. but it was also such a clear indication of the way in which our neoliberal society, our neoliberal world works, right? Um, so the documentary looks at a call set or a, a workshop centre in the Philippines um, that is subcontracted by social media companies like Facebook and Google and Twitter and whatever. And it is the job of these poorly paid, poorly serviced um, Filipino staff to moderate what is and what isn't, um, you know, acceptable on social media based on what people have reported. Um, and this job is one that is traumatic for the people who work there, but also the decision and the moral decision of what is and what isn't considered appropriate is given to these people who are poorly paid and underserviced and all of that stuff. It also gives us an idea of how um, these big companies are relinquishing responsibility um, and that, mm. for me, is one of the most terrifying parts mm. of all of it. Why should they be held responsible? 
that's but that's like the million dollar question right like for me the one thing that I learned in doing some reading and you know really put like reflecting on what it is it's like our expectation for Facebook to hold some sort of um, moral standard is flawed I think that that is inherently flawed I don't think that um, me as a reader should expect Facebook to be an arbiter of what is and what isn't right. Our expectation that it is and that it will is flawed because I don't think that that will ever happen, right? They don't have anything, like they don't, they don't have to do anything. They have a lot of power, but they don't have to do anything. Governments and nation states are losing a lot of power because of the internet and, you know, globalization and all of those things but like Facebook doesn't have to do anything really we expect Facebook to do something and Facebook would like to make us look make us feel as though they are doing something but technically Facebook is a private company so our expectation for a private company to have any kind of moral standing across the world is you know I I don't I don't know why we expect that. Mm. I think that um, social media is used as a tool. It is not the beginning or the end of any movement. It is not, um, you know, technically social media does a lot. It connects people. We find out what's going on. We know a lot um, because of it. But without people social media doesn't exist right like we are the content creators we are the consumers and without us digital media and social media just simply does not exist so I guess your question about us you know wanting to share our information and put forth all of you know our dialogues and all of that stuff without offending I don't I I really know how to answer that I don't know how we would I don't know how that we would do that That was Arish Noor, reminding us that free speech on Facebook is a complex and contested issue and one that we'll continue to interrogate. Accent a Woman is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. I'm Ayan Sherwa. Thank you.